1: takes a dim view of division. If you don't believe me, ask Dathan. Ask Dathan what happened to him when he pulled away the children of Israel and around the golden calf they had a great wild time and when Moses came back, actually the ground opened up and swallowed Dathan Dathan down. God takes a dim view of those who would divide his sheep, of those who would come in and cause division. God takes an extremely Dim view
0: of that. In today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you about how God feels about division within the church. Division within the church can look a lot of different ways gossip, lies, and deceit, and there are those who will try to bring these things into the church. Be watchful and beware of such people who would divide the church. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 15, as he begins his message Rejected by man, redeemed by God. You are sure.
1: Going to be continuing in our study of 2 Samuel. We're going to finish chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 24 through 37. So we studied through chapter 15, first 23 verses, and it seems that Absalom turned the hearts of the men of Israel against his father David. Absalom is becoming a scoundrel, and he is doing his dirty deed amongst the men of Israel, and he's wooing them to him. Um, His rebellion against his father has actually turned into treason. His rebellion against dad has actually turned into treason. And now, with his band of merry men, they're coming back into Jerusalem. They're coming back into Jerusalem to depose his dad as king and for Absalom to take the throne. He now wants to take the throne of David from his father. David, being a wise man, not wanting a bloodbath to occur in Jerusalem when Absalom gets there, decides to flee. He decides that he's going to leave Jerusalem behind, leave it to Absalom. He's going to move out of Jerusalem. He's going to take his family and anybody who would like to go with him is open to travel with David as they now leave the city, the city that bore his name, the city of David. He's leaving it behind. And this is a sad time for him. Very, very sad time for the nation Israel. For once again, the nation is at odds with each other. Once again, although the nation isn't divided into two nations as they once were, but now they're divided internally where there is Absalom and his men, and those who are loyal to David. So there's a great division in the nation once more. You know, I was thinking about that. And God hates division. God takes a dim view of division. If you don't believe me, ask Dathan. Ask Dathan what happened to him when he pulled away the children of Israel and around the golden calf, they had a great wild time. And when Moses came back, actually, the ground opened up and swallowed Nathan, Nathan down. So God takes a dim view of those who would divide his sheep, of those who would come in and cause division. God takes an extremely dim view of that. But this is the second time now that David has to flee for his life. You remember, back in 1 Samuel, Saul was after David, and David had to flee for his life as Saul wanted to kill him. Years earlier, he sought him. Now David was fleeing from his own son. David's house was divided, just as Nathan prophesied in 2 Samuel 12. David's house was divided. Remember the prophecy is the sword won't leave the hand of his household. The sword will always be on that. But although everything seemed to be spinning out of control, everything seemed to be going hither and thither and wherever, David had a sense that the Lord hadn't left him. David had this sense about him, and he felt the Lord's presence all along. He felt the Lord's presence about him. David again was once again forced To trust in the Lord and the Lord alone. It would be the Lord that would deliver him from the hand of his enemies. It would be the Lord that delivered him from the hand of his own dear son. It would be the Lord either restore him to the kingship, to the throne, or destroy him completely. It was up to the Lord. And again, as I sat here and thought about this, sometimes it's good to be in a place when you're forced to trust in the Lord. Sometimes it's, been, it's good to be at a place like that. I don't know how many of you trusted in yourselves, but I sure have. I trusted in my good looks and my good brain. Don't be laughing when I say good looks. <laughs> I trusted in my own self many, many years, and it got me absolutely nowhere. And I was forced to trust the Lord, or I would lose the one thing that was most dear to my heart, is my lovely wife. I was forced to trust the Lord, and boy, am I glad I did. Am I glad that the Lord allowed me the chance to repent of my sins, allowed me the chance to come to Him? And sometimes when you're in that position and you've got no place to go, it's a good place to be. Now, when you're in that position, you don't want to hear me say that. But I might say that to you. You know you're in a good place, and then I'll duck. But if you think about it, you'll probably realize that you are in a good place when you get to that point. Because you can't but cry out to the Lord. You can't but trust in Him for what's going to happen next. It was during this time, it was during this time, please turn to Psalm 3. Please turn to Psalm 3. It was during this time that David writes this beautiful psalm. A beautiful psalm. It's entitled, man put a title on the accord, The Lord Helps His Troubled People. And if you read the footnote, it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So David now is forced to trust in the Lord. He's fleeing from his own son, his own flesh and blood, who basically not only wants to take the throne, but I really believe in his heart, Absalom wanted to kill his father. I believe Absalom wanted to strike his father dead. So David writes these beautiful words. It's only eight small verses, so I'm going to read the entire psalm. And listen to the words that David pens, realizing the situation that he's in. Put it the context. Realize what they, where David is. He's running away from Jerusalem. He's leaving everything behind. He's got nowhere to go except the wilderness. People are chasing him. People want to kill him. He doesn't know who to trust because even some of his good counselors have bolted from him. His dear friends have stabbed him in the back, so to speak, and have betrayed him. He's been rejected by the nation Israel, and he's running for his life. So with all that in mind, he sits down, and by the Holy Spirit, he sits there and he writes this. Lord, verse 1, how they have increased who troubled me. Every time he turns around, another one's joining the group. Every time he turns around, Ahithophel, his dearest counselor, is going to find out that he's one of them. Lord, how they have increased who troubled me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help in God. There is no help for him in God. There is no help for him in God. Because we're going to see that many of his enemies think that David deserves what he's getting. He deserves what he's getting. So God's not going to help him because of his sin. But David knows better because look what he writes in verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield to me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill. The word Selah simply means think about it, pause, let it sink in. David says, You, O oh Lord, are my shield. I know you're going to protect me. You're a shield about me. I know you're going to protect me. You are my shield. You're the glory. You're my glory. And you lift my head up. You lift me up to places higher and higher. And you give me strength. And I cried out to you, Loris, and you heard me. You heard me from your hill. God, I know that. He said, I lay down and I slept. And I woke, for the Lord sustained me. And I can imagine David sleeping on cracks and crevices and, 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 and caves and all sorts of crazy things in the wilderness. And every day he wakes up, he's astounded that he woke up, that he doesn't have a knife sticking out of his chest. Lord, you sustained me through the night. And he's excited again because the Lord sustained him. I'm not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me all around. David says, with you at my back, Lord, what do I have to be afraid of? For what can man do to me? Well, they can kill you. Great, then I'll be with the Lord. It's a win-win, and David knew that. David understood that. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah, think about that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David writes this psalm, and and his situation was so bad that many felt he was beyond God's help. Many are there say there is no help for you in God. Why are you going to God? There's no help for you. Those who said that probably didn't feel that God was unable to help him. They probably felt that God was unwilling to help David because of his sin. They looked at David's past sin and figured, he deserves what he gets from God. How many of us judge others because of their past sins? How many of us turn our back on brothers and sisters that have a sin problem and we judge them? We think, God doesn't want to heal you. God doesn't want to forgive you. I'm not certainly going to forgive you. How many of us do that? We're going to meet a, a man in chapter 16 named Shammai. He's an example of who someone said God was against David, and he was getting what he deserved in 2 Samuel 16.8. This thought was most painful for David. He thought that God might be against him. You can imagine his thinking, well, you know, I did sin. Remember, we talked about David. He was well aware of his sin. And sometimes we're aware of our sins. We think, well, God might be against us. He, he might be. Wanting out there with a big wooden spoon ready to crack me in the head? He might be wanting to do that. But that's not the God I know. That's not the God I know because he says salvation belongs to the Lord. My God is mercy, abounding in mercy. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. And if I accept Christ as my Savior, there's forgiveness. And then there's peace. Praise God is right. Praise God for that. Praise God for Jesus. I wasn't, we're not living in that time. So many said, there's no help. But David knew that God was his shield. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. That beautiful song, Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. The glory and the lifter of my head comes from right from this psalm. The glory and the lifter of my head. Many others couldn't shake David's confidence in God. And they looked at that and they marveled at that. And I think that's one of the reasons why many people stuck to David. Because they saw his devotion to God. They saw his devotion to the Lord. They understood what he was saying, what he was going through. And they stuck with him because they knew God was gracious. They knew God was a loving God. But he also is just, and he must judge righteously. And they knew that too. And David knew that. David was under attack from a ruthless enemy. He needed a shield. And he knew God was a shield. This wasn't a prayer asking God to fulfill this. This was a declaration of fact. God, you're my shield. It wasn't, oh, God, be my shield. No, David spoke with confidence. God, you're my shield. You're my shield about me. And when you're going through a tough time, you can shout that out to God. You're my shield. You're going to protect me in the midst of all this craziness. You're going to protect me. I don't know what's happening, but you do. You know how it's going to end. And I trust in you, Lord, to do whatever you need to do in my life. We're going to get to that in a minute. There was nothing glorious or headlifting in David's circumstances. His glory and headlifting came from God himself, and David understood that. Study the psalm and really realize what's going on in David's heart. Others said, God doesn't want anything to do with you, David. Hang it up, pal. But David says, no, no, no. God heard me. When I cried out to him, he heard me. What confidence he has. What confidence he has. A sinful man. Oh, I can relate. Man, can I relate, because I'm nothing but a sinful man, saved by grace, a sinner, saved by God's grace. When I called out to the Lord, he heard me. And he answered my cry, help me, forgive me. Boom. He helped me, and he forgave me. David knew it wasn't Absalom who was enthroned on God's holy hill. He knew it was God himself who was enthroned. And I've said that before to people. Be of good cheer. God has not left the throne. God has not left the throne. He is still in charge. He's still there. And David knew that. The Lord himself still held the ground and would hear from David and help David from his holy hill. David couldn't help but to trust the Lord. He could not help but to believe no matter what happened, no matter how badly disordered things were, no matter how badly things were disturbed, how badly the nation was divided. He knew that the Lord was still on the throne. Men may have rejected David, but God never did. God never rejected him. Men may reject you, but God will not. If you come to him with a pure heart, if you come to him as a repentant sinner, confessing your sins, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And he will not turn you away. David may have given up the throne, but remember in 1 Samuel, who anointed David king besides Samuel? God. God anointed David king. God was the one, and only God could take the crown away. Man cannot keep nor control that which is not his. The crown was God's to give, and it was crowned. The crown was God's to take. This church is God's church, it's his church. He established it, he built it, he continues to build it and provide for it. It's his, it does not belong to me. In fact, I have a weird time even saying when I'm talking to somebody, well, you know what, my church, I don't like to say that. I really don't even like to say that. I always say at the church that I pastor. Because it really doesn't belong to me. God's. It belongs to God's, and I can't keep what God is unless he'll entrust it to me. David's going to trust in the sovereignty of God in a minute. We're going to see this. He's going to trust in God's sovereign because he knows God is sovereign. He knows God is sovereign and a gracious God. Let's look at, finally, let's look at 15, 24, and 25a. Now they crossed over. They were weeping and mourning. They crossed over the book Kidron. And number 24 says, There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God. And Abathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back to the city. I love this. David has left Jerusalem, and here come the Levites, the priests all along, and they're carrying the ark of the covenant. The Levites knew that Absalom had usurped his father's power, had usurped his father's throne, and they weren't following Absalom, they were following God, because they knew David was anointed by God. They were following God and they were going out to, so they joined forces with David. They knew the proper place of the Ark of the Covenant was with the king of Israel, the true king, not a supposed king, the true king. But David says, take the ark back. Take the ark back to Jerusalem. Now this seems kind of strange. But then he says this out of a humble heart. Read, let's read 25b and 26. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Talk about a humble spirit. Do you know what I believe he's saying here? I believe he's saying here, let God be God. Let God be God. If he chooses to finish me off, so be it. In other words, the word for so be it is amen. So be it. If he chooses to use me, praise his holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. But whatever happens, I have the insurance that I am in his hands, and he will do whatever's best. The Father knows best. That's True. David shows his teachability here and his obedience to the Lord. I love this about David. He shows his teachability. He knows that the ark doesn't belong to him. And he knows that the ark's not a good luck charm, Allah Eli. Remember Eli in 1 Samuel? They took the ark out because the ark was supposed to go out to defeat the animals, enemies. What happened? They lost the ark. The ark was captured by the Philistines because the ark, ark was nothing but a good luck charm. No, that's not the work. In this statement, David now reveals he has a true understanding of the connection between the ark and God's people, the presence of God with his people. He knows that the ark is a possession but doesn't guarantee God's blessing just because you have the ark. It's God who gives it the blessing. He recognizes that the ark belongs in the capital city. That's where it's supposed to be according to God's precepts. And God rules over Israel no matter who the king might be. So David says, okay. If the king's not going to be me, so be it. But if God's going to use me, I'll come back and he'll show me. He'll let me know. I love this. To me, what I hear, I hear the son of David, Jesus Christ in the garden saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. What do you want, Father? Not my will. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. I hear David saying that. Not my will. 27 and 28, the king said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, and your two sons with you. Ahim has your son, and Jonathan the son of Abathar. See, I will wait in the plains, in the wilderness, until word comes from you to inform me. You're a prophet, aren't you? Well, go back and wait and tell me what's going on back there. Tell me what's happening. So he's planning spies. David had a great network of spies the first time he was in the wilderness, and now he's planting this network of spies this time. He had hoped that these priests, now these guys probably shared the high priesthood. These guys probably shared the high priesthood. That's why they could carry the ark. But they were going to be messengers about what was happening in Jerusalem. Look at verse 29. Therefore, Zadok and Abathar carry the, ark back, carry the Ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remain there. Man, you gotta love these guys. You gotta love these guys. David says, No, the Ark of the Covenant belongs in Jerusalem. It represents God to the people. That's where it being, no matter who's king. And these guys, these guys looked at David and said, Okay, wow, what faithfulness. What awaited them in Jerusalem? They had no idea. They had no idea how they were going to be treated by Absalom. For all they knew, they could have been killed. They didn't know what Absalom was going to do to them. They could have been, they could have been enslaved, forced servitude. They could have been all kinds of things. But they also knew that David was in their presence. They carried in the Ark of the Covenant. And they were not following God's plans, David's plans per se. They were following God. They were following God. They were true to God and God's servant, David. Man, these are the kind of friends you want. (laughs) You want friends like this. You want friends like this. The ones who stand by you through thick and thin. The ones who don't judge you. The ones who are with you during the good times and the bad times. You get a lot of guys and people who come around and they'll praise the Lord with you. Hallelujah, brother Ray. Great time. Slip and fall. See how many stay there. See how many stay there. Then you can really judge your true friends. I want friends who are going to encourage me, not drag me down. I don't need to point out anybody to point out my sin. Trust me, I know my sin. I know, and I need to give it to God. I need someone to lead me to Jesus Christ so I can confess my sin to him. Remember I said one time, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I used to say about my dear friend Dave Coyle, he and I talk a lot. We try to talk at least once a week, sometimes more, and he's my dear friend. I talked to him just yesterday. But when he's down or when I'm down, we try to center each other on Christ. We center each other on Christ. He'll hear something in my voice and he'll start, now, now, get back to the Lord. Let's look at this through the Lord's eyes. And I try to do the same from him. That's what a good friend does. You are assured.
0: The book of 2 Samuel is a continuation of David's journey to the throne promised him years before. It follows his life and relationship with God, with his family, and with the people entrusted to his leadership. David has much to teach you, and we encourage you to continue studying this Old Testament book. If you missed any part of today's teaching on Assure Hope, or if you'd like to listen to additional teachings from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com today. Maybe today, as you were listening, you found you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions and start you on a journey that will change your life for the better. Give us a call. Our number is 609-884-884. 5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. And while you're on our website, visit the page, How to Be Saved, to read all about the plan of salvation God set up long ago. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the area, join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. You can find directions and more information at assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, too. Just follow the link on our page to follow us. We're coming to an end of our time with you today. We're so glad you took the time to study God's Word today with Pastor Dave, and we hope you'll join us next time as we explore deeper into the book of 2 Samuel right here on Assure Hope.